Good morning. My name, uh, yeah, my name's Tim. If I haven't met you before, uh, we are uh, we're in the series. Uh, well, we're in the season uh, called Advent. This time, leading up to Christmas, when followers of Jesus throughout the centuries have uh, we've prepared our hearts to uh, again remember and celebrate the arrival of the Son of God into human history. And and this Advent this year, we are we're doing a series of teachings. It's a meaningful life and. We've been we've been uh, we've been recognizing the fact that Jesus uh, he arrived he was born into a very particular uh, people a particular uh, story in this um, and the, this Jewish people immersed in the Hebrew scriptures and how they they saw uh, the world in a certain way and, and we've talked about how when we enter into that when we enter into that story when we when we inhabit the story of scripture that we're, we're, we we find ourselves placed rightly in the world and it gives our lives the kind of meaning they're meant to have. We, we started off the first week, uh, Carlos shared about that this, uh, this, this story, this, this way of seeing the world um, declares that the world was created by a good God for good purposes. That men and women, you and I, are his image bearers. We're not an accident. And this place is not the problem. This is a good place. So meals and mountains and singing and sailing, these are good things meant to be enjoyed. And then last week we moved on and we talked about, yes, this place was good, but now we need to deal with the question, what, what is wrong with the world? And we recognize there's this goodness, but kind of laid over the top of this goodness, we feel that there's something wrong and everybody has to wrestle with the question, what, what is wrong? We talked about the story of scripture, the story that Jesus uh, was born into uh, declares that, that every one of us has a shadow side. I have a shadow side. You have a shadow side. The, the, the biblical word for that is sin. But this, 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 this spiritual fracture between us and God, it's, it's like a, a rock hitting a windshield. That is the impact point. That break between us and God. Where we say, God, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to go on our own way. And the, 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 the fracture spider web out from there, impacting all aspects of, of our hearts, of our relationships, even this, the, the, this creative world we live in. And so today we're going to move, we're going to talk, we're going to look at, so what do we do about that? What, what is God's response if this, this fracture, um, this, the shadow side that, that is in our hearts and uh, now covers the world, what does God do about that? Are we just, just going to stay in that place or does God meet us in that place? And essentially, if I had to sum up, if I had to sum up what we're going to talk about this morning, I'm going to, that uh, this is what we're going to we're going to talk about. That uh, when we look at when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that we don't solve the shadow side. We don't solve it in ourselves. That God comes and He rescues us in the midst of it. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the it's God's rescue of us in the midst of our shadow side. And in short, God does for us. What we cannot do for ourselves. We're going to pick up this morning in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to follow along, you can turn to Matthew 1, 18. Matthew is to the right in your Bible. And uh, it's after Malachi, it's before Mark. It's the first book in the New Testament. And last week we did 1 through 17. Today we're picking up in verse 18. And just a, kind of a reminder of, of those first 17 verses that we took a look at last week. Last week, uh, the, the book of Matthew, those first 17 verses, they deal with the, uh, the ancestry of Jesus, his family tree. 
And when we look at that family tree, we see this idea that that there's this this shadow hangs over Jesus' family tree, his ancestry. And this idea that we all have a shadow side is illuminated in Jesus' family tree. And yet, we could go over that same ancestry, that same family tree of Jesus, and we could see that in the midst of their shadow side, over and over again, God rescues people. God does for people what they cannot do for themselves. Abraham, he lies about, multiple times, lies about being married to his wife. Nonetheless, God shows up in Abraham's life and says, Abraham, I, I'm going to, through you and your descendants, I'm going to bless the world. Jacob, Abraham's son, uh, steals his birthright, birth, steals the birthright from his brother Esau. God shows up in Jacob's life and says, Jacob, I want to give you a new name, a new identity in spite of your past. Uh, Judah, Jacob's son. Judah, we said, sleeps with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And God does not abandon Judah. God comes to Judah and says, the Messiah, Judah, nonetheless, will come through your line. Going farther, we talked about King David later on. King David, who, uh, who slept with Uriah's wife while she was still married to Uriah, and then arranged for Uriah's murder. And God came to David and said, David, nonetheless, I will not abandon you. And the, the coming king will come through your descendants, Solomon, who had hundreds of wives. He's a, basically an international arms dealer. God comes to Solomon and says, Solomon, through you, I desire, I desire to build my temple, my presence, house my presence with my people through you. Rehoboam started a civil war. The, uh, the, the entire nation ends up going into exile. They've so, uh, they've so embraced their shadow side that God has to take the people and remove them from their homeland. Nonetheless, again, God says to the people, I will not abandon you there. I will bring you back home again, over and over again. God does for people what they cannot do for themselves. Eugene Peterson, he says it this way. He says, the story of Jesus does not begin with Jesus. God had been at work for a long time. Salvation, which is the main business of Jesus, is an old business. Jesus is the coming together in final form of themes and energies and movements which have been set in motion before the foundation of the world. Jesus is the culmination, the crescendo of this, this kind of rescuing work that God has always been about. And I think what is true in this family tree, I think, I think this tr- it's true in my family tree and your family tree. I think every one of our family trees have a shadow side. And I think whether Jesus has been explicitly, obviously named as part of your family tree or not, I believe that God has been at work in your story, in your family tree for a long, long time, desiring to do for people what they cannot do for themselves. And Jesus, when he shows up, is simply the crescendo of the kind of rescuing work God has always been about. So let's look now, let's look at these, these verses in Matthew. So we, we looked at the, uh, we've looked at the ancestry, we've remembered um, where Jesus came from, this, this old, old story. And we're going to pick up now in verse 18, Matthew 1, 18. If you want to follow along, we'll read through uh, the birth of Jesus. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law 
and, and had pre this and knew the basics of biology, let's say that, <laughs> and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus, uh, in Hebrew, uh, the name is pronounced Yeshua. And the meaning of the name is God is salvation. God saves. That the, 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 the center, the vocation of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the, the reason he was born into this world is God saves. God is salvation. The angel says... Uh, Call him Jesus because he will save their people from their sins. And I want to, this morning, this idea that Jesus was born to save, that he will, he will save people from their sins, he will rescue people from their sins, he will rescue people from their shadow sides. I want to I pause on, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I, what I want to talk about is what does that mean? When we say that Jesus was born to rescue us from our shadow side, that he came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, what does that mean? And we're going to look at this, kind of three aspects of this. We're going to look at what this means uh, in regards to our past. We're going to look at what this means in regards to our present. And we're going to look at what this means in regards to our future. So first, past. That Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, he came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves in regards to our past. Imagine, imagine you were you're part of this people, the, 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 the people of Israel in the first century, this people that Jesus was born into. Imagine you were there. I mean, you would have been part of a people, you would have known, you, were, you would have been well aware of this ancestry that described Jesus, but also described many of the people in Israel, you would have been aware that your ancestry had a past, had a shadow side to it. You would have been aware of your need for forgiveness, both collectively as a people, but also personally. You would have been aware that you, you, had, you were alienated from God. You needed forgiveness in your relationship with God. And Jesus came to forgive that. Jesus, 30 years after he was born, Thirty-some years, we see him in Jerusalem, and you can you can picture it. It's Jerusalem. It's uh, it's late at night. It's dark outside, and he's in he's in one of the wealthier parts of town, and he's in this uh, multi-story building. He's in the he's in the second floor. It's probably a, one of his followers who's a bit wealthier owns this building, 
and, uh, and, and this followers invited Jesus and his 12 close friends to have a meal there. And, it, and the time is, it's this spring festival, the spring holy day in Jerusalem. And Jesus' and his friends have gathered there and they're sharing the sacred meal that his people have celebrated for generations. And they're, they're gathered around the table. They've had roast lamb, which having meat is a real, it's a very special occasion. They've had roast lamb, they've had bitter herbs, they've had bread made without yeast, and they've had uh, cups of wine. The room's probably fairly dark. It's, it's lit by a few olive oil lamps. And Jesus has been talking to his friends and teaching. And then Jesus reaches out and he takes the stone mug of wine. And he looks at his friends. And this is what he says to them. He says, drink from this. All of you. This is my blood. My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, Jesus did not stumble into his death. He did not, he did not accidentally end up. He knew, he knew his vocation, his mission led to his execution. And he understood that as an act that would forgive those who trusted in him. See, forgiveness always has a cost to it. When, uh, when I was in middle school, I, uh, one time I, I found a pin and I found my dad's toothpaste tube. And I wondered what would happen if I poked several hundred holes in my dad's toothpaste tube. <laughs> As you do when you're in sixth grade. Uh, and so I poked all these holes in it and, uh, you know, left it back in the, the <laughs> cabinet for him. So the next morning, my dad goes to brush his teeth and he grabs it. And it's kind of this experiment in Play-Doh tectonics. And he just toothpaste everywhere, right? All over his hand. And, um, you know, he asked my brother and I, Who, did you do this? No, no. Did you do this? No, no. And dad's like, of course, some stranger came and poked hundreds of holes in my Well... Eventually, eventually, I uh, eventually I, ca- I came forward. Dad, I admit it. I, I I poked all the holes in your toothpaste tube, and he forgave. You know, thank you, for, thank you for being awesome, Tim. I forgive you this. Uh, here's the thing, though. He still had to buy a new tube of toothpaste. He still had to buy one. There, there's there's a cost to forgiveness. When forgiveness happens, there's still a cost to be paid. And what's true in small things is true in bigger things too. I think about, I think about me as a father raising, uh, raising uh, my daughters, and I and I recognize, um, I recognize that I'm a fa- I have a shadow side. We all have a shadow side, and my children will be impacted by my shadow side. Whether that's unresolved anger, not expressing it well, whether it's checking out when things get stressful, they will, they will grow up with wounds from their father as hard as I try not to. We all, have a, we all have a shadow side. And one day, as they grow, they will recognize that. And they will have a choice to make, what to do with that. And, and maybe they, they can deny it. They can pretend their dad was perfect. He didn't do anything wrong. Our dad didn't have a shadow side. And they could bury it and deny it and repress it. And it will fester. Or or they can just, they can dwell on it. They They can revel in bitterness. 
and anger at me for the ways that I let them down. Or they have a third choice of forgiveness. Of saying, Dad, we, we recognize that you are not perfect, but we do not hold that against you. We release you from that. But the thing is, in every act of forgiveness, there's a part of us that it feels like it's dying, that we have to swallow that down. When we forgive, it, it feels like part of us, we have to die to that desire for revenge. See, forgiveness always has a cost involved. And when we begin, we, we begin talking about this whole world and the way that all men and women have a shadow side and the way that hurls around our world and resulting in brokenness and families and friendships and the, the, all the different ways we see that hurting other image bearers in this world. The cost of forgiveness is nothing less than the death of the Son of God. In regards to our past, Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And he offers us complete forgiveness as he takes that upon himself. Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves in regards to our past and forgiveness. In regards to our present, also, secondly, Jesus does for us what we cannot do to ourselves. Again, think of these the, this people that Jesus was born into. In, uh, in first century Israel, as Jesus walked, walked among them, he came, across, he came across people who chose several different ways of trying to self-manage their shadow side. In first century Israel, Jesus came across people who their chosen strategy to deal with their shadow side themselves was this like hyper-religious option. And so Jesus came across very highly religious people, legalistic pe people, rule-oriented people. And that he came across people and their, their, their way of managing their own shadow side was to, to deny it, repress it, bury it, ignore it, and to create these rules and try and manage their sin themselves. And that was one extreme that Jesus came in contact with. And Jesus came in contact with another extreme also. People that didn't, he didn't bother with that. They said, we're just going to go with it. We're going to run with it. Embrace it. There, follow your own heart wherever it may lead, no matter what the consequences are. People that embraced their shadow side and reveled in it, even if it left a trail of serial relationships and addictions and uh, lying and cheating and all other sorts of dysfunction. And we see these kind of two extremes and, of course, all sorts of people in the middle. But, but, but people in his time and place that were trying, they were trying to manage their shadow side themselves, whether it was bearing it, whether it was embracing it. And Jesus came offering a different way. In the present struggle with the shadow side, he came offering something else. We see him. We see him early on uh, in his, in his uh, uh, vocational public ministry life. Uh, he's walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's early in the morning. Jesus would have been in his early 30s, and he, he's walking along shore, and the sun's rising. And uh, on the north side of the shore of the Sea of Galilee, there would have been uh, many Jewish fishermen that were wrapping up their work for the night. They would have fished all night long, and pulling, now they're pulling their boats on shore. They were untangling their nets, and... And Jesus comes across several young men, probably teenagers, maybe in their early 20s. Probably people who, these young guys, probably at different times in their life, sometimes tried to manage their shadow side with rules. Sometimes they just dove in and embraced it. But they were a mix like many of us. And Jesus came across them and he looked at them 
And he said to them, he said, come, follow me, and I will make you, I will make you into fishers of men. He says, come, come as you are. Come just as you are. I know about your shadow side. I know about it. And nothing you can bring to me is going to surprise me or offend me or make me reject you. Come. Follow me. Attach yourself to me. Make me the desire of your heart. And as you do that, I will make you. Not you will make yourself. Not you will manage yourself. I will make you into something new. I will make you into the you I dreamed of when I created you. See, Jesus, in our present struggle with our shadow side, doesn't call us to manage it with our own rules and try and bury it. And Jesus doesn't call us just to embrace it and follow it wherever it leads. Jesus says, come, bring it to me. Bring your full shadow side to me. Nothing is going to surprise me. He says, bring it to me. I will forgive you and attach yourself to me. My, and now, Jesus, after his resurrection, his very spirit, his presence comes and indwells us. And then he says, I will make you. I will make you into something new. In our present struggle, by his forgiveness, by attaching ourselves to him, he forms new hearts within us. Jesus does, Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves in our present. So Jesus does what we cannot do for ourselves in our, in our past through forgiveness, in our present by remaking us, and then into our futures. Jesus does what we cannot do for ourselves regarding our future. If you think about the people that Jesus was born into, these were a people that were better acquainted with death than we are today. I mean, this is a world without anesthesia, without antibiotics, without emergency C-sections. At any given time, probably a third of the population was either seriously ill or injured. These are people acquainted with death. And actually, for much of human history, people have been more aware of death than we are. I've been reading a, uh, a 16th century um, Christian writer, uh, Francis de Sales, and he wrote this. He said, uh, only one, one thing only is certain that I will die and sooner than I would like. It's true for every one of us. And maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you just, I think for much of our modern culture, we just ignore it, pretend it, put it off, deny it as much as possible. And then for others of us, we're just terrified of it. Terrified. Only one thing is certain. I will die and sooner than I like. And the story of Jesus does not end with his execution, but it, it goes on to his resurrection. Jesus comes out the other side of death. Not into some kind of spirit, shadowy existence, into fully embodied, freed from death and sickness and disease and decay existence. Resurrection. And Jesus said to the people in the first century, and he says to us today, any who attach themselves to me, I promise resurrection life. And 
In a few more weeks, we're actually going to be talking, we're going to spend a whole Sunday just talking about the end of history and how Jesus promises a new heavens and a new earth and how we will, we will be with him in resurrection bodies in that place. But for this morning, I think it's enough to say that in regards to our future, Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The immortal one puts on mortality so that we mortals may put on his immortality. He is the source of life, and when we attach ourselves to them, he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So in regards to all this, I, wanna, I just want to take a moment now and just talk about how do we respond? What do we do with this? This, this, this Jesus who comes to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves and regards to our past and our present and our future. And I think, um, I think the question I would want to ask is where do, you, where do you need to be rescued? In this, this season of Advent, where do you need to be rescued? And, and, I, and I was imagining that, you know, thinking about this question, I think one thing I would... It's easy, I think, when we hear that, what do I need to be rescued for our minds quickly to go to external things? I need to be rescued from this trial or this circumstance or this problem outside of me. And, and Jesus cares about those things. And, and there's times and places to talk about those things. But, but what we're talking about this morning, the rescue that, that this scripture is talking about is the internal, the rescue that Jesus brings from our own, the darkness within, the shadow side in our own hearts. Where do you need to be rescued from your shadow side? Where do you need forgiveness, power to live differently, hope for the future? And uh, for some of us here this morning, uh, for some of us, we've been walking with Jesus for some time. And, 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 and I would just want to remind us that the rescue of Jesus is not a one-time event. That, it, that when a person walks with Jesus, we are not only rescued, we are in the process of continually being rescued. This is the place that, to be a follower of Jesus, we live here permanently, always being rescued by Jesus. There's not a time where it's like, okay, yeah, he, got, he saved me, now I'm going to just do it on my own. Over and over and over again, forgiveness and new life and shaping a new heart in us. Where, if you've been following, walking with Jesus for a long time, where do you, this season, where do you need him to rescue you? And if you're here this morning and you would say you're not a follower of Jesus, that you wouldn't say I've attached myself, I've, I've, I've decided to follow him my life. I guess my question for you would be, um, where are you looking for rescue instead? See, we all deal with these things. We all deal with past regrets, ways that we've hurt others. We all deal with the struggle that we, that, you know, that we, we know that we're not the person we're, we're, we're meant to be. We all deal with, where are you? Everybody looks for rescue somewhere. Where, do you, where are you looking for rescue? Where do you take your regrets? How do you numb those? What do you, when, when you wrestle with your shadow side in the present, how do you deal with that? Do you, do you try and create rules and structure and control it, deny it yourself, or do you just embrace it? Where are you going where are you looking to for rescue? And is that better? Does that sound, wherever you're looking, does that sound more true and better and more beautiful than the Son of God stepping into human history to do for you, 
to do for me what we could never do for ourselves. That you might consider that this Christmas season. That, that sentence that we read earlier, verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That, that, that sentence, um, in the Greek, when it says he, he will save his people from their sins, is quite emphatic. It's he himself, he and no other, will save his people from their sins. When, when, when God looks down, uh, when God sees a world um, where we all have a shadow side and where that has, has kind of built up a head of steam and results in all sorts of hurt throughout a world, um, God does not give us a new set of rules. God does not give us self-help books. God does not give us a new form of government. God does not give us a new economic system. When God sees us and the shadow side that hangs over our own hearts and over this world, God gives us himself, his very self. When he sees me and the shadow that hangs over my heart, his solution is not advice or rules or he says to him, I give you my very self. This Christmas, let us remember the salvation of God is nothing less than God himself. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, um, I thank you that uh, I thank you that you can take these ancient words, and your Spirit is here with us and can uh, breathe through them, and they become living words uh, from you, the living God, and to our hearts and minds here and now. And so, I pray uh, pray for us as a as a church family, as a community, and. Um, all the different places we're coming from this week, some uh, very thankful places, some very distracted places, some very guilt-ridden places. Um, and uh, I thank you that you speak, you speak just the right word. Um, as we open our ears, you speak just the right word to every one of us. And I, I do pray um, that you would speak a word of rescue, a word of good news uh, to us this morning. I pray for those who are here who have walked with you for a long time. I pray um, a fresh word of rescue, that this would, this would become a new word and not that, that you would remove any staleness or oldness or, or um, complacency with it, but you would remind us again uh, of the way you rescue. And for, for any here this morning who, who this is a strange new thing to, any here this morning who, who have heard about Jesus and been drawn to you, but not knowing what to do with you. Any here who are here this morning who, who, who feel this need for forgiveness, who feel this need for a kind of power to live a different life within them. I pray this morning you would draw them, you would call their names, draw them to yourself. Give them the courage 
to step after you. In the same way, those teenage fishermen left their boats 2,000 years ago. I thank you that you still say to us, come follow me. I will make you into something new. In your good name we pray. Amen.